2: In 2019, New Noise magazine declared Omnigon as the best spin-off ska punk band in history. Two members came from legendary East Bay group Link 80, and they created an aggressive punk-oriented ska sound very much in the same vein. Omnigon's new record, Against the Rest, was just released on Bad Time Records, and it's fantastic. But a few years ago, Omnigon's lead singer made the risky decision to become the co-host of the Indefensive Scott Ska podcast. It has turned out to be the best decision he's ever made in his
0: life. So you had to fly solo for this episode. No co-host.
2: Yeah, well, actually, originally, it was going to be uh, Mike Sosinski was going to be the co-host on this episode, and we were going to surprise you.
0: You guys were trying to surprise me, but then I hit you up on when I was out on tour. <laughs> I was like, hey, could we do an Omnigon episode? And then you were like, well, actually, (laughs) we, I was going to
2: say like, oh, we have a, we need to film, we need to record a bonus episode or something. I was going to try to think of some excuse to get you on. And then boom, when you got on, it was like record scratch. I do love a surprise. (laughs) How would you have reacted? uh, If,
0: if you'd been completely surprised, I I would have liked it.
2: That would have been fun. I wasn't a hundred percent sure.
0: I am glad though, that we got to have Barry and Justin on here too, especially since, uh, Nobody really ever gets to hear those two talk. Yeah. I was happy to have the conversation with them.
2: Okay. So Adam, first off, let's just establish that you're not allowed to be the co-host tonight.
3: (laughs) Justin's the
0: co-host tonight. Yep. I'm just, I'm just a guest tonight.
2: You're on the, you're on the table with them on that side of the table.
0: Yeah. This is like when you go to your work, like if you worked at like a restaurant and you go to your, work and you sit at a table it's like that
2: do you think we're gonna uh or think we're gonna bring in some Om- Omnigon fans that like don't normally listen to this podcast
0: no <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean definitely one of the things that happened a lot on this last run was uh people coming up to the merch table and telling me they listened to the podcast whoa all right
2: i'm gonna i'm gonna read a quote first before before we start off okay this is a Adam. You did an interview with uh, Mustard. Okay, it says um, Aaron is my oldest friend that I talk to the most. He is totally out of his mind. Yeah, you also say stuff about me being intelligent and thoughtful, but let's talk. Let's talk about the part where I'm out of my mind.
0: You wouldn't agree that you're out of your mind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I agree. I agree.
0: Justin, what do you think of Aaron? <laughs>
1: I mean it's kind of a mixed bag, dude. I have a lot of different Aaron Aaron Karns experiences. I think that <laughs> most of them are very normal and then my interactions with him on the internet are crazy.
0: <laughs> Barry Barry you've you've toured with Aaron before? Yeah. What's touring with Aaron like?
4: Well, he carries around a laundry basket, so I don't know. I think that says enough.
1: <laughs> What's in the laundry basket? Not just laundry.
2: I just used a laundry basket on the tour instead of a suitcase. And and they all thought it was hilarious. Totally normal. <laughs> That's kind of cool.
0: Nothing weird about that. You don't you don't have to open the suitcase. See? You never carry your clothes at belly level? Barry, did did he make it to all the hotel rooms? Okay.
4: <laughs> yeah, there was one he made an extra hotel room visit. Don't try and sell me on laundry baskets. <laughs> Didn't you have like a hotel room visit to the wrong
0: room, Aaron? Yeah, I think so.
2: I got a free beer out of it,
0: though. <laughs> Imagine a man shows up at your at your door holding a beer <laughs> with a laundry basket. <laughs> and dirty clothes. <laughs> knocking on your door at like one in the morning. Somebody experienced that.
2: They didn't open the door, but you know, they probably <laughs> saw me on the other side. That's probably a reason they didn't open their door. I want to actually throw out. I do have a, one like kind of unique Justin experience I want to share and see if jo- Justin remembers. Oh, yeah. When I interviewed Mike Park, well, I think it was a Mike, I don't know if it was for the book or if it was for like an article I did on him. I think it was the article. Anyways, Justin was just there and just watched the entire interview. What? Do you remember that, Justin? (laughs) No, not at all. What was he being interviewed for? Well, I, I was, it was either when I interviewed him for my book, In Defense of Scott, or it was when I interviewed him for like a really long article. Are you sure it wasn't someone else that just kind of looked like me? Maybe the Metro article, the Metro cover story. Do you remember that? The Metro cover story I did on Mike? The 15 year anniversary of Asian man.
1: I actually have that Metro. It's hanging in my, my drum closet at my house. It's framed behind a bunch of coats. And when you pull the coats back, it's Mike's face peeking out. Yeah, that one. I think that was the <laughs> one. And you were just, I don't know.
2: You were just at his house. Oh, that makes sense. You just sat quietly and watched. Like we were performing for
1: you. <laughs> I believe that if, if that happened, that I was probably super entertained and I was just sitting there like, yeah, it was great. Popcorn and a movie. I'm here. You were a great audience. You, you didn't interrupt at all. You didn't, uh, you didn't make any sounds. You just, just watched. Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time at Mike's house. So that would, that would make sense. <laughs> but then do you notice that he never mentions me in any interviews? I noticed that. I always text him afterwards and I'll say, hey, how much did you talk about me? And he says, not at all. (laughs) You know how disappointing that is?
2: It's interesting because he's very concerned about being talked about on all the interviews on this podcast.
1: I'm going to talk about him this entire interview. (laughs) I'm just going to talk about Mike. Mike, are you listening?
2: (laughs) Mike is probably right now. He's probably on a walk right now because that's what he likes to do. He likes to load up his indefensive ska and uh, go for a nice walk around his house in Los Gatos and listen to me and listen to Adam and listen to our guests speak, just soothing, soothing his brain through his ears. So now, Justin, go ahead and uh, give, deliver Mike a message while he's walking around in Los Gatos. <laughs>
1: All right, Mike, I hope while you're walking that you don't get bit by any mosquitoes because there's water near you. And I've been bit by mosquitoes at his house a lot, so I hope that doesn't happen. Now you put me on the spot. I don't know what to say to Mike while he's walking. That's weird. Have a good walk. Have a great walk. <laughs> You're like a second dad to me. Aw. All right,
2: so let's talk about this new Omnigon record. Everybody in, the, in this recording r- recorded on this record, yeah? Yep. Yep. Including yep. me. <laughs> but how many of my drum t- takes made it to that record?
4: Uh zero. Zero. <laughs> They're going to be used for in defensive
0: ska, right? But I will say this, we we recorded <laughs> so we recorded the first day with you, which thank you so much for coming down to the studio. We we uh Yeah. <laughs> didn't have a drummer for the first day. And so it was useful having you come down. And then uh, Justin came in the next two days and completely demolished one of his hands, but played all the songs in two days. Wow! And uh, we—I think we started with songs that were not the songs that you recorded, and then once we finished all those, went back and did the song that you recorded. And they were like, "Let's just let's get these Aaron songs out." And then we and then we a beat them. We're like, "Well, maybe maybe we'll use Carnes's takes." And then when you listen to them back and forth, we're like, yeah, Justin's takes her better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you could have kept like some, like, like a couple symbols or something just so that I could have had my name in the credit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when I thought about it later, like, I mean, I was pretty stressed about the whole thing, but if we had just recorded like some dub jams to like go in between stuff, that might've made it in. We'll have to do that next record. I think, I think if we'd been a little bit looser when we'd played with you. Yeah. Next record. Start practicing now, Aaron. <laughs> Did you have you said, I don't know if you have you explained
2: publicly why the I played on the first day and Justin played on the second two days, what the situation was?
0: No, and we, we can say it We were supposed to have Joey Bustos play on the whole record. Um the what? drummer. Um he played on two songs uh when we were just trying the studio out. And uh and then we were like yeah let's just do the whole record with Joey it'll be fun and then and then Joey uh committed to it and then realized he couldn't do it like about a week before we were supposed to go in and record so we had to scramble and luckily you and Justin were able to come in and do it yeah otherwise we would have been
2: screwed so how did you feel about the recording session you feel did you feel good about it i mean i you were saying it was pretty stressful yeah. given the the last minute um, issues going on.
0: I mean, I felt much better about it than the last session just because we were in, in our, (laughs) in our way, we were more prepared. Like when we recorded no faith, I was just throwing chord progressions at everybody. And we were like, okay, here's, here's the song. It's going to be this part, this part, this part. Okay. Let's try it once. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. Let's record it. Okay. Let's try recording it again. Okay, we're done. We'll go to the next one. And we did like like 11 songs in one day. <laughs> and it was just insane. And like when one drummer would get tired, I mean, you were there for that too, Aaron. You played on a couple songs. When one drummer would get tired, we just flip drummers. And so we had Justin there, we had Brent there, we had you, and we were supposed to have Matt Kolb there also. Mm-hmm. But uh he couldn't make it. So... I don't know. I think, I feel like that's like a, a product of us doing nar boots, like just kind <laughs> yeah. of just trying whatever, just going, Oh, maybe do this and then record it and just be like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. Cause at this point in my life, like I'm beyond the point of wanting to sit in a practice space and like do it again and again and again until it's like exactly what's in my head. Like some, you know, true visionary or whatever bullshit like I trust Justin and I trust Barry and I trust you Aaron to just do whatever you're gonna do and that's that's what the song is it doesn't need to be like micromanaged you you can just trust the people in your band it's supposed to just capture the moment in time anyway so I mean sure that's pretty much what I felt like we were trying to do with
4: the last last one anyways
2: So, what was it like for you, Justin? Um, Did you know the songs
1: well, or were you picking them up in the studio? No, I mean, so Adam sent them to me a week, about a week before, and fortunately, they had some like you know, you you heard them, Aaron. They had like loose drum machine tracks programmed over it. So I was like, okay, I kind of know what everybody wants out of this, and I always like that. I like to go in and and know what people want from me rather than show up and, and give them what I want because it's not about what I want. It's about what the record needs. So it was cool to have that. I felt confident. I played the songs every day leading up to going to the studio, went in and felt pretty good about everything, I had notes and was able to to play through. And it, it, I think came out really good and I'm really happy with it for how short the amount of time was.
2: Justin, have you ever played any, any Omnigon
1: shows? played one maybe two
0: (laughs) definitely played one
1: yeah it might just be one is there a reason why is touring tough for you or yeah i mean touring sucks for me i'm super i have really bad anxiety when it comes to touring i've always been that way even when i was like 20 and i should have been having the time of my life i was just stressed and like it comes and goes some I've had really, really good tours where I'm just happy as can be, you know, but you have to kind of in order to reach that place for me, I have to leave everything behind. Like I, I have to completely detach from home reality in order to give myself a hundred percent to tour reality. So it's hard for me to do that. I love doing it. I would love to do it more, but It's hard for sure.
0: Is there another reason that touring is hard for you right now, Justin?
1: I mean, I have a kid that I have one, (laughs) one and a half year old right now. That doesn't make it super easy to do a lot of like, I'm going to leave the house for a long time. Then you add the anxiety to that and I get motion sick. Like that's another thing. If you were to interview Mike Park, he can tell you stories about me vomiting on the side of the freeway. Oh, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, just like, Hey, can we pull over? I need to throw up and just puking my brains out and then getting back in the car and being like, all right. Is it just when you're sitting passenger or? Yeah. If I'm a passenger, I'll, I'll probably throw up. You can, you can put money on me throwing up.
0: Hey, Adam,
4: we might have a new driver.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually happy driving. I prefer to drive.
1: I've driven every tour, every tour that I've done the last five years I've driven or five or ten years i've driven every mile every single mile wait so adam um the last the bad time records tour you
2: did Mm -hmm. you did you drive the entire tour yes yes you did what was the final not not the not the california league but the week before california you, you came home from what colorado
0: yes from no yeah denver yeah
2: Okay, so walk us through that. It
0: was, it was a thousand miles flat. We, uh, <laughs> My man, sure <laughs> so you don't want him to drive you through it? <laughs> we did sixteen hours. Sixteen hours. We couldn't go through the Sierras because of the all the snow, and uh, it was. We I looked it up on on Google Maps to see how we were going to get back, and the There was another route that you would drive down towards Southern California, and then go up the five. And that was one minute longer than going over the Sierras. So I was like, well, obviously we're doing that. And then we added another like 20 or 30 minutes. Cause we drove Nick back to his house in Chino. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then I probably could have done the whole drive in one shot, but then I would have gotten home at like five in the morning and just been wrecked for the rest of the day. So we stopped at about two 30 and got like a, ratty hotel room just me and barry and crashed out for a couple of hours and then got up and finished the drive so 16 hours one day and then five hours the next day huh. and also that i'll say this for anybody who has toured or is planning on touring the drive between denver and salt lake city on the 70 is so much better than the drive on the 80 don't do the 80 <laughs> you, if it's snowing at all you're gonna get stranded and the 70 is so much prettier basically i'm saying fuck wyoming <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: fair what did you think
2: what did you think so um this this is a question for adam and barry sorry justin oh that's fine the in defense of ska tour uh, with muster plug and buck nine and the bad time tour how are these um different better worse um these different uh, these different experiences for you as a Omnigon touring band now
4: I mean I I think they're both examples of like how flourishing Sky is right now I mean in my opinion I mean I love both tours for different reasons but yeah they were for me it was just like I I didn't think that we'd ever play in front of that many people Again, in a ska band, you know, five years ago, two, two years ago, three years ago, you know. I thought it was great, but what's, what, what was your take, Adam?
0: Um, w- well, were you, were you happier on this tour that you did not catch COVID?
4: <laughs> That's not fair, though. <laughs> oh, we're going into the
0: personal <laughs> aspect of it. I was glad to play more than four shows, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, you, I'm, like, it sucked last time. I almost started crying because, like, we had to leave you at a truck stop.
4: Someone said they 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 uh, were happy to see me again, but I I got it, 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 yeah I wasn't at the last one
0: in Seattle. So <laughs> what well, was that like one of, like the Seattle or the Portland show?
4: <laughs> I think it was I think it was the Seattle show. Someone was like, oh man, when you guys came here last, you guys were awesome. You did so, you know whatever, and I was just kind of like, it was the same thing. It was like when I joined Link Eighty, I felt like it's just okay. Nod your head, and, okay, cool. No. Yeah. I wasn't here the last time, but yeah.
0: I mean, that's one thing also that I've I've learned is when people ask me to sign something now, I just sign it. Mm Yeah, I don't try to like explain it. Like somebody had me sign, somebody had me sign like their like a T-shirt of a different band during one of these shows, and I was just like, sure.
4: Yeah, I think I tried to correct somebody back in Link Eighty, and I that didn't go so well so i just i've never tried to correct anyone ever again (laughs) just sign
0: the thing be happy that somebody wants you to write your name
2: yeah when i when i rodeed for skank and pickle back in 95 i signed uh somebody's i signed like two shirts as as the drummer just because i was breaking the drums apart and i got asked, asked to sign the their shirt there you
1: go amazing So yeah that's incredible
0: do you like signing autographs justin
1: i love it i love signing autographs if anyone's listening and you want an autograph just hit up adam davis <laughs> and he will get you i'll mail you an autograph for free that's how much i like signing autographs i think it's sick
4: he's got all your autographs right
1: oh i got signed uh, again ask mike park he has <laughs> a photo of me signed somewhere that i sent to him for his birthday Adam, what did you think <laughs> about the difference between
2: the vibe and the audiences of the two tours, and the how the their reaction to you at Omnicon?
0: You know, the funny thing it, on both on both sides, like I thought we would be a little bit more recognized at the Bad Time Records mm-hmm. tour, um, like with the with the mustard plug and Bucko Nine. Like, obviously, it was like. An older crowd, or people who, you know, listened to to ska in the '90s, and so we were like definitely a new band for everybody. And then on this, I was kind of thinking like, oh, okay, well, we'll probably get a little bit more like recognition since we're part of the same crew. But so many people were coming up to me, just being like, "Wow, I've never heard of you guys before," and they were all stoked, like kind of the same as on during the mustard plug tour. And then like the plus side and the downside was that. There were no no other bands added to the Bad Time Tour. Yeah, um, I mean the the bad side of that being that you know we had to go on first every night, which you know I don't totally mind, but on the Mustard Plug Tour, having somebody else be that buffer for like when people are like running late, that's always nice. It was kind of awful a couple of times to like you know be sweaty off stage, you know, heading over to merch, and somebody comes up to you and they're like, "Did you just play?" You're like, yeah, you just missed it. Sorry. By the record. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing too, is with with Brent, with Brent as as tour manager, everything ran absolutely on time, at least as far as Omnagon was concerned. Yeah. Like we we had a tight 30 every night, you know, since he was behind the drums, he was rushing me along if, if I was being a little bit long in the tooth talking between songs and uh, keeping us on, keeping us on.
2: Okay, so on the bad time tour, you at the San Francisco show at least. I just assume that you did this on the other shows, but you you have a song about you know, just because you get older doesn't mean you have to be you know, old in your brain essentially. And uh, and yeah. you 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 talked about how we don't need to know, we don't need any more fifty uh, year old dipshit punks turned maga. Care to elaborate on that?
0: Yeah, I mean. I mean, I thought it was funny because you pointed out to me during the show. You're like, you're almost (laughs) 50. And I was like, yeah, but that's actually kind of the point. It's like literally the people that I used to look up to who are like five to 10 years older than me that are like turning around now and like saying stupid ass shit, just like either coming out as being racist or homophobic or transphobic or anti-vax. and It's such a fucking downer and it just bums me out so fucking hard and it's like infuriating and there's no reason as we get older to like close off your mind and, and be unwilling to like change your opinion about things or be unwilling to like look at things from another person's perspective.
4: Or just slide backwards.
0: so that's kind of what that's about. That's
2: true. I mean, I, I totally agree. Like Adam, um, I'm forty-seven, you're forty-six. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're a lot older than uh some of the a lot of the bands in Bad Time and the audience, I think. And um yep. there wasn't a lot of discussion about people being trans and and trans rights and all that when we were younger. Mm-hmm. So we we grew up with that sort of becoming aware of that and, and having a lot of people who are younger than us kind of promoting these ideas. But, but we did not, (laughs) we weren't like, fuck that shit. Yeah. You know, we, we were, we were open-minded and we were, we listened and we allowed ourselves to become aware of things that maybe we weren't aware of when we were that age.
0: Right. And it's not to say that I like fully accepted it. Like, immediately and had no issues. Like, like, um, I definitely like, you know, w- was raised in the eighties and had all these like horrible conceptions of like <laughs> how media portrays people. I mean, fucking look at like the last scene in like fucking, uh, Ace Ventura, sure. like Jesus Christ, <laughs> like that hasn't aged well. But like, but like I've kept my mind open and been able to like, see people as people and understand why why people transition or why people you know are gay or you know whatever and it's not that hard it's it's really easy to just like take a step back and look at things from another person's perspective and be like oh you know i think i get that and and just progress instead of just always thinking that you're right which is what I feel like all these
2: dudes that are older than me are doing. And so, what is it like? Uh, and, and Barry, you know, you feel free to comment too. Like, especially on the bad time tour, what's it like being like kind of the older, older part of the scene? Like, I think you, you're like the old. You were the you guys were the oldest people on that tour, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And probably on the label as well, right? Well, I guess there's a couple. You know, like J J. Yeah. Yeah, it's true.
0: Now there's older people on the label, but but we were definitely the oldest dudes on the tour. And um, I think also Barry and I are just so used to touring like real rough, (laughs) like that. This feels fucking luxurious, (laughs) like sleeping in hotels every night. I'm used to having a neck cramp and kinked up
4: back just from sleeping in the van or on the floor underneath some stairs it was uh
0: yeah we did we did zero night drives yeah which was unheard of back in the day we were driving overnight every fucking so the night. way
4: it used to work though aaron is night drives were for adam and aaron and the day drives were for all the drinkers <laughs> because we couldn't do the night drives so because
0: <laughs> you guys would all be fucking hammered adam's taking over all the drives and i just kind of feel like i need to earn it back you know that's the thing, too, is I love touring with Sober Berry. Yeah, I want to ask about that. Touring with Sober Berry sober is way better than touring with Drunky Berry.
2: Drunky
4: Berry? Yeah. How much did you used to drink, Berry? Uh, a lot. I don't remember most of the stuff that happened. I mean, I honestly don't. I, like, my wife will ask me, like, what was it like in Europe? I'm like, it was like being in a bar every night. All night. <laughs> That's pretty much what I remember. Yeah, kind of sad. Yeah, it is sad. I mean, I tell my kids, if you want to have this kind of memory.
2: Yeah, Adam, you've talked about that, I think, in other interviews as you're promoting Omnigon, that you're like a straight-edge band. Mm-hmm. Is that? I mean, I guess that's really your only... Your, your, you've been straight-edge your whole life, but this is your real first experience being in a, a straight-edge band,
0: essentially. I was in a straight-edge band, Adam. You were in a straight-edge band, yeah, but but like, wasn't the singer like a secret sipper? <laughs> no, no. He, As far as I knew,
4: as far as we knew, he was a straight-edge singer. And then one <laughs> night after like... Six months to eight months of playing shows, singing a song called Straight Edge, and then going out and drinking our asses off, and wondering why we're the band with the Straight Edge guy. We go to show up to a show, and he's just sipping a beer, and he's like, yeah, no, I'm, I, I broke." I'm like, what? We got to throw away our whole set. I broke. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's not going to work.
4: It didn't. We, we quit after <laughs> that. We're like, "What are we doing, with this guy?"
0: Justin, have you ever been in a in a Straight Edge band before?
1: I was in a Straight Edge band with you adam two thousand two thousand
0: ten was for the win supposed to be a straight edge band
1: i don't think they were i don't think it was a straight edge band, but everyone in that band was straight edge
0: you would not have known it from looking at that band
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the win,
2: how long uh were you in this band adam
0: I got tricked into being in that band <laughs> I was supposed to come in I was supposed to come in and sing sing one song on this album. And I I was happy to do it. Like I thought the band was cool. I came in and did one song, and then I did another, and then I did another. And then I I sang on half the record. I sang on half the record, and then the guitar player quit. No, the bass player quit. So then the guitar player moved over to bass.
1: Uh, He also recorded guitar.
0: I didn't record any guitar. I just played guitar for the album release show.
1: The guy who recorded guitar he recorded bass too. He did both. Yeah. And then the bass player quit and that guy who was a guitar player got bumped to bass even though he wrote all the parts. Yeah. And then you were thinking Then he quit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then he quit and and then and then you quit and then and then the singer tried to keep me around. Tell me, Adam was the last member.
1: Adam was last standing,
0: <laughs> almost.
1: He was the wow. band,
0: and then and then the best part was I was at, I was at Asian Man Records, and Mike was pissed about about the singer of that band, and he delete he like has since re released <laughs> like put out an Asian Man Records release using that catalog number, <laughs> so like the for the Win record doesn't exist yeah. in the discography <laughs> it's completely and deleted. he handed me the remaining records off the shelf and was just like get rid of these <laughs> and so i took all these for the Win records and i just like i had an office job and i just like put on like i think maybe facebook it might have been myspace i was just like hey if you want a copy of this record send me your address and i just used the company postage and i just sent these records to people uh-huh.
2: I remember you, uh, for the win, uh, this might have been your first show, Adam. It was a Nickel City. Only show. Yeah, okay, only show. You got on stage, and you went up to somebody else in the band, I don't know who, and you said, Hi, how you doing? I'm Adam. We're in a band together.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would have been jo- Jonathan McMaster, right? Because he, play- he, got, he got thrown in on bass that night, because he was going to be the new bass player.
1: <laughs> what, did he Really? oh my god that's right and
0: i remember being super annoyed because i was just like who's this fucking 16 year old kid <laughs> and then he came up to me at fest in 2022 and was like do you hate me <laughs> and i was like no why would i hate you oh
1: that's the guy oh man that's funny oh i was texting him He, i made you guys friends again i'm a i'm a matchmaker yeah
0: he was he, i guess he was texting justin
1: and he was like he's like i'm, I'm here and adam's here <laughs> And Justin was like, I said you should hang out with Adam. He's great. He's all no, nah, I think he doesn't like me.
0: Yeah. So he came over, he came over to the merch table and just like he just like looks me right in the eye and just goes, Do you hate me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that was uncomfortable. Oh, that was like, totally no.
0: uncomfortable. <laughs> I was super, super annoyed to just like have this like rando 16 year old thrown up on stage to play bass. Like I was like, I don't know who the fuck this kid is. Like
1: oh, McMaster ended up being he's a shredder. I played kitty cat fan club with him for five years he was good then dude yeah do you hear his i mean do you hear stick up kid
0: i never actually heard stick up kid but i know who they are
1: played in another band before that i forgot they were called but i have them on my ipod i'll send it to you (laughs) great content i'm gonna extract it (laughs) from my ipod
0: you're gonna download it from your ipod so you can send it to me
1: (laughs) you ever done that it's actually surprisingly difficult
0: yeah the program is called Satuni, which is iTunes spelled backwards.
2: All right, I want to sh- I want to shift gears a little bit. Sure, we're going to talk a little bit about Narboots. Boots. <laughs> I dug up. Okay, do you remember um, we did an interview with the San Francisco Chronicle and you answered all the questions? Amazing. Do you remember this?
0: No, but it sounds sounds correct.
2: Okay, so it was all email. You answer all the questions. Um, great. Great answers um they edited the edited down to where it was like they took all the best stuff out, it was just like a just a dumb interview yeah, okay so i found I found the original the original actual interview
0: oh you found the the, the original one that didn't get published yeah yeah
2: it, and I found it, the email you sent me okay, so I want to go through them and you can we can elaborate on some of this stuff okay okay, okay first question is was there a band you heard when you were young that inspired you to become a musician? I remember lazily sitting in front of the television watching MTV as a teenager. I was watching the video for Anthrax's song, Persistence of Time. About halfway through the video, I shot up in my seat with the epiphany, I want to be in a band. At the time, I couldn't play any instrument. I'd never taken any piano lessons. I just figured if the weirdos in that video can be in a band, I could too. How hard could it be? It's a true story?
0: Yes. And I've I've probably since told that story a bunch of times.
2: (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, I want to, okay. So side question. I feel like I remember you playing Nirvana at like a talent show in high school. Yeah, totally. Okay. What's, what song did you do? Oh
0: shit. So Gilroy high school talent show. Um, they would just kind of let you put together a band and then you could play. So I had some friends, uh, Josh Kabibi, Joffrey Longoria and some other kid on drums. They wanted to play uh, Freedom by Rage Against the Machine. So they're like, meet us at such and such garage. We'll practice it and we'll be in the talent show. So we went and I I was just going to do vocals and I just did vocals and we ran the song and I was amazed that everybody knew how to play it. And I screamed my head off and it was awesome. And so I was like, all right, cool. So we went and did the audition at the talent show and played Freedom and the people there were all like hair blown back, like we fucking killed it. <laughs> and then, like we really went for it too, like w- the only the way the like teenagers can, like you know how like you have teenagers like sound check, and then they'll just like they'll just like start performing. That was us. <laughs> so we just like <laughs> went for it, and it was awesome. And then all three of the other members of that band were ineligible because of their grades. So I had no band. (laughs) So then I had to like piece it together with some other people. Eligible. Yeah. I had to piece it together with some other people and we're like, well, what are we going to do on short notice? Like, and we're like, I don't know, let's do Nirvana. And so we did smells like teen spirit. And then I think I also did like acoustic, like Jesus wants me for a sunbeam or whatever. And it was fine. It was like total, like chaotic train wreck. And, uh, With the Pat Parker, who was the jazz guitarist at our school, was like jealous that nobody had asked him to play. So he was like, I think we had like three guitar players for this thing. So it was like three guitars all playing just the chords and smells like Teen Spirit. Amazing. And then the other the other performance I did at that same talent show was The Cures uh Fascination Street. And I played guitar for that. And two of the members from that band were ineligible because of grades. So we replaced them with members from the jazz band, Scott Weinholz on drums and some other fucking dork playing the keyboard part. And we just like put a, put a black shirt on him and made him stand in the back. It's like, okay, plunk out this part
3: on the keyboard. Yes. Oh yes.
2: Totally amazing. So tell me, um, Did you cry when Kurt Kurt Cobain died?
0: Yeah, for sure. I was like a little kid and like, I was like fucking like, that was what made me want to play guitar. Like Mm -hmm. the first time I even held a guitar, I was like, Oh, you're supposed to hold it this way. Right. And somebody's like, Nope, turn that over. (laughs) Kurt Cobain is left-handed. Not everybody else is Kurt left-handed. I was like, Oh shit. Okay. All right.
2: I'm going to go back to the interview. Okay. Next question is how does living in the Bay area affect your music? In the, Bay Area, in the Bay Area, any night of the week, we can see any type of band you would like playing at some bar. Kind of typo. There's such a glut of music happening all the time, standing out is difficult. That helped us make the decision to make our performance and music over the top. At this point in my life, I don't want to be in another band where I get up on stage, plug in a guitar, mm. run through the same set of songs, and get off the stage for, <laughs> in time for another band to get up on stage, plug in the guitar, run through the same set of songs. I want it to leave a lasting impression, something people will talk about after the show, whether people enjoyed themselves or had a horrible time. Yeah. You enjoying uh, plugging your guitar again?
0: I mean, I'm not plugging my guitar, and am I? I'm running it's around true, on stage yeah. with a microphone. I'm fucking living the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, I, I would say I would say that I I I am still trying to make it a spectacle, and I would say that like what we learned in our boots, as far as like engaging the audience. Like I'm still trying to do that to a degree. And you might even see the parachute come out again at some point. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Why not? I'll just steal that from Narboots.
2: (laughs) OmniGon parachute. Okay, so next question. What's the most important aspect of putting on a live show? To have fun. We will turn any situation into a good time, at least for us. Some of our worst or weirdest shows (laughs) Mm -hmm. have turned out to be some of our most enjoyable. We had a few shows in Oakland and Stockton where homeless people came in off the street and joined our band for a song or two. These moments are things you can't plan for. And the ability to roll with the moment keeps things exciting for us.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the,
2: uh, on the three gig podcast, you mentioned the, those shows as some of your worst shows,
0: but I also said that they were some of our best shows.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, But you also mentioned on the three gigs, you mentioned the Goodwin brothers uh, show. Uh, where the janitor, I think, like jumped on stage at the end and started shouting, heads are going to roll through the doggy door.
3: Yeah,
0: absolutely terrifying. (laughs) That guy was intense.
2: Yeah, that guy was very intense. Uh, Which of your lyrics best defines your band and why? We are all G to the N to the A-R-B-O-O-T-S. Poetry. That's the lyrics. The reason is we embrace the concept that we are all Narboots. There is no stage, there is no audience, there is only Narboots. Yep. (laughs) Why did he edit this shit? I
0: don't know. That's that's fucking genius right there. Pat myself on the back. That's a great answer. (laughs) The funniest thing to me too is anytime there's a picture of me and you, people still like comment with we are all Narboots. Yeah.
2: I know somebody there was a there was a person in the San Francisco show that like tapped me on the shoulder, then opened their jacket to show me the Narboot shirt. Incredible. If your band could collaborate on a song with any living, dead, living, any person living or dead, who would it be? Living, Flaming Lips, The Residence, Negative Land, The Knife, Silent Shout Era, John Congleton from The Paper Chase, any of the pop music people currently making music, because pop music has gotten weird. Still feel that way about pop music?
0: Yeah. Pop music is fucking weird.
2: Dead is a lot harder because first they'd have to come back from the dead,
0: mm-hmm.
3: which True. last
2: we checked is impossible.
3: True. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah.
2: Then we would have to explain to them that it's 2014 and they've been dead for a while. Yep. After shock wears off, we'd have to talk them into using some of their newfound life, writing new music with us. Also, <laughs> can we bring them back to life only from where they left off? We don't really want fat Elvis or weird Michael Jackson. Maybe we do shoot. This is hard. Okay. We pick Paul McCartney.
3: (laughs) Oh my God. Fuck.
0: Damn. Adam in 2014 was on some good shit right there. That's great. (laughs)
1: That's funny.
2: All right. So okay. if a junior high, (laughs) this is a good one. If a junior high school asked you to play a cover song at the next talent show, what song would you choose and why? We would pick whatever song would make them riot and burn down the school. (laughs) (laughs) Junior is the worst time in everyone's life. Nothing makes sense. It's such a crappy transitional period. Hopefully the Narboots riots of 2015 will bring about the abolishment of junior high school and kids could spend those two years learning a trade instead.
0: God, why didn't they fucking print (laughs) this?
1: I know exactly why they didn't print this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a fucking stupid ass question though seriously you're like man kids are gonna join a
0: cult
2: how else are you supposed to answer that question
0: yeah well how'd you get your band okay. name <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh yeah that's not, that's in that's in there okay next question is how would you describe your sound do you remember the answer you gave to this one
0: no i have no idea what i said but i'm sure it's fucking fire musical terrorism oh yeah that's what i that's what i say. <laughs> did not print that one nope but I, I stand by that and i I that's how I describe Narboots anytime anybody asks about it. Musical terrorism.
4: They printed something, but not what you responded with? They just cut it like way down. Just grab one word out of the whole thing and just use that.
0: They just like redacted it down until it said, come to our show.
4: Oh, there you go. Yeah. So instead of musical terrorists, it just said musical.
0: Yeah. <laughs> musical. <laughs> come to our musical performance.
1: How would you describe your music? Well, it's music. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Next question, please. Uh, how did you come up with the band name and what does it mean to you? Uh, in my old band, we had a drummer who used to use a bunch of dumb
4: skater slang, and our boots came from that.
0: Yeah, Barry. What drummer is that?
4: Is that, is that Bustos or is that, is that Steve?
0: You had a 50 50 chance.
4: That's Stephen Heat.
0: That's Stephen Heat.
2: Strap on your nar boots is the expression, and that just means you're walking around barefoot, right?
0: That for him, it meant that because he would just he would just tour in board shorts, no shirt, no shoes. Yeah, and he'd be walking around at the gas station with no shoes on, <laughs> just dirty <laughs> ass feet in the van, and a shirt on, but it would be totally unbuttoned. <laughs> yeah, maybe a shirt on that's unbuttoned.
1: That's a look.
0: I mean, he was he's really cool. I'm not going to lie. I wish I could be Stephen Heat. He came from Hawaii
4: and he didn't want to hide that at all.
0: No, he wasn't <laughs> trying to hide that. He also had a really cool tattoo on his chest that was just like two fists, <laughs> like two balled up fists. <laughs> and then he had these triple fortissimos tattooed on his collarbones. So it was just like, yeah, I just play hard all the time. And I was like, respect. <laughs> He did play so hard that, like, whenever he had to play, like, money beat fast, it sounded like he was like climbing out of a hole every single time. (laughs) He would, like, hit the snare. Like, it it just made it sound lurchy and weird because he would play so hard.
2: The end of that question, you say, We wanted a name that was easy to spell, was one word and sounded gross. Yeah. I have to say, Narboots is a good band name because most people have never really heard that word or don't have any association with it. Yeah. Which I guess Omnigon. Is that a made-up word?
0: Omnigon? No, it's, it's it's usually without the e. Oh, okay. It's it's a it's a hypothetical shape with a infinite number of sides. Similar, I would say, in that
2: it's like you you get to have the association of being omnigon and not it being some other thing as well. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was what I learned from Narboots. Like, I want, I like Narbutz is a great band name. Like, it's probably the best band name, straight up. Like, yeah, it's it's like so memorable. And like weird and like it's like it's like cat bite. Like it's one of those band names. Yeah. And so I wanted something like that. And I just kept imagining like what would I want it to look like on a t shirt. And like when I was trying to think of like band names, I was going through all these different ideas and they were all fucking shitty.
4: Yeah.
0: Did you have any band names, Barry?
4: I I just remember thinking these sound like ska band names. It's terrible. Like what? That's I mean. I can't even remember. I can't even remember. I'm just getting my memory back now. So it's not here
0: yet. Big Larry and the skankers. Big Larry and the skankers. Yeah, I
4: don't, I don't remember. I, I just remember when he came up with Omnigon. I was like, oh, huh, I would never have thought of that, but that sounds great.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was for me, it was like,
4: it just sounded different, different than anything else.
0: I knew, I knew that I wanted to like incorporate the link Eighty Zero in it. And so like, I was like, Oh, what, what, how can I put it in there? And like, I was like, Thinking Twice. about things with like the word zero and thinking about things with the word like halo, because it kind of looks like a halo. And I was like, I don't like any of these. And then Omnigon popped into my head. And and then I was like, oh, I'll put an E at the end of it so it's easier to find it. So it's like you don't just find Omnigon like with G-O-N. And then I literally just sat down on my computer and just like Photoshopped out the zero from the link 80 zero and then found a typewriter font that I liked. And I was just like, <laughs> shit, yeah, this is it.
1: That's amazing. I played on two, two records and that's the first time I've heard that story. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had no clue what band I was playing in and
0: there'll be a different story the next time around. Well, we didn't have a name when we recorded the album. Did we, we, did we have a name when we recorded No Faith?
1: I thought you said it was Omnicon. I don't know.
4: No, no. When we f- recorded the first one. That was just supposed to be a Christmas special. Wow. What was
0: supposed to be a Christmas gift?
4: I thought that we were just recording that to hand out to our family or friends just for like, haha, Like, check it out. We played Ska for 13 songs.
0: Oh, for sure. I didn't know what we were doing with it. I thought we were just going to like, oh, we'll just take a song every couple months and throw it online. Like on Bandcamp.
2: Uh, how, how did this band come together? It's still in Narboots. boots. We formed out of being burnt out on music. True. We've played in other bands for years. And so there's much boring, awful, tedious work that goes into being a real band. Mm-hmm. We decided to try something different. Don't practice. Just play shows. Play any slot on the bill like you're headlining, especially headlining shows.
0: That still holds true.
4: I was going to say, that sounds like the omnigon decree.
0: Yeah, we don't practice. Yeah, <laughs> we don't practice. Straight up, we've recorded more times than we've practiced. That's true. Yeah, we've recorded more times than we, than we practiced, and we we definitely try to play every set like we're the main band. Like that thirty minutes that we get to be on stage that's that's our time. Do you remember? Um, okay,
2: the rest of that interview is just like you know where are you playing and what's your new record called. So mm-hmm. that's not really that interesting. Do you remember, Adam, during Narboots? Boots, uh, you wrote a blog post for Don't Hang Out in Front of the House. It's like a house show blog. Mm-hmm. Do you remember why you wrote that? Or was there any specific show we played that inspired you to write that?
0: I mean, I remember we played with, uh, what's his bucket that, asked, that was running that blog? I can't remember what his name was. was. Attica Attica or something like that was his band.
2: His name is Aaron, I think. Aaron, yeah. But I remember because the tone of that blog was just basically like how you kind of felt like worried about the kids not being down with the punk sort of ethos and everything. But then having been part of the these house shows and, and stuff with Narboots, you kind of saw that there that it wasn't dead. Totally. That yeah. And so that was the tone of it. I was just wondering if there was any shows that you remember into Narboots that really kind of made you believe again, if you will, in the sort of the the passing down of the baton to pu- the
0: punks and stuff. Probably like the story house show that we played and, and like the backyard shows that we played in San Jose. Like specifically the moment where like Laura Stevenson was playing and like everybody was being like real quiet and respectful in this like grungy ass backyard. And like we were in the like flight path of like the San Jose airport and there were like airplanes flying overhead. And it was just like a beautiful moment. And I was just like, fuck, yeah, I feel super lucky to be here in my 30s at this like weirdo, like grungy punk, like teenage punk party. And that's the thing also is like all these, all these like people our age that were super into punk in the 90s, you know, just like, oh, yeah, the kids just don't give a fuck about punk anymore. And it's just like, no, they do. You just aren't invited to their shows anymore.
2: (laughs) That's exactly
0: Like, and now, even now, like with in the Bay area, like the shit that bands like false flag and, and surprise privilege are doing like playing at places like stay gold deli and playing, playing, uh, fucking like rogue ass shows in like generator shows in like golden gate park and playing, playing on Bart, playing in the last car of Bart and like thinking they're going to get shut down. Like in playing like one song and then they, they play for like, you know, a full 30 minutes before the cops stop them. And then the cops don't do anything because they know it'll just be a riot. If they start arresting kids. So they just let everybody go. (laughs) These kids don't give a fuck. Like also they're all like so young. It's like, you can't even arrest me. Like I'm fucking 17. Like, fuck you. (laughs) So like, I'm just always just like in awe of like the next generation of kids and it makes me like stoked that they're doing stuff. I don't feel comfortable doing the stuff they're doing, but that's probably because I'm an old ass man. And I shouldn't be the one doing that stuff. Like that's awkward. Yeah. It's sick. The kids are the kids are totally all right. They're doing great.
3: Yeah.
2: All right. So um let's go back to Link eighty. Barry, did you join Link Eighty after Adam?
4: Uh I joined right as link 80 was uh shutting down but yeah it was right after no it wasn't out right after it was well after
0: you had like a year and a half right
4: got a year and a half but i'd also been playing for quite a few years leading up to that 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 year and a half wasn't long enough
0: yeah
2: (laughs) Oh, so so you let's give your history pre link 80 history
4: i was used to being in a lot of bands that got their place, like kind of work their way up and then they'd fall apart. So joining link 80 was like, yes. And then it was like, Oh wait, we're doing the same thing. My other bands, did. We're folding up shop. Okay. <laughs> Nate, what are some of the bands you
2: were in before link 80?
4: Uh, I was in the blast bandits and I don't really think other than the blast bandits. I mean, even them, they're only really known for one of the songs that link 80 covered
2: and OmniGon?
4: Mm, well, yeah, I'm saying pre link 80, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was the Blast Bandits, Link 80 and Omnigon. I was in a band shortly about seven years ago called uh, Terrible Timing, but that was, again, one of those bands where you build it up and then right when it feels like it's getting somewhere, it just folds up. So, <sighs> hoping that Omnigon doesn't do that. Knock on <laughs> Do you guys, so what was it like when you guys
2: when you joined the band? Did you guys become friends right away?
0: Yeah,
4: we were already friends. Oh,
2: because from Blast Bandits.
4: Yeah, I'd play with them um in Blast Bandits and then in some of my other bands where I was playing drums. So it wasn't like I had to, you know, meet them and get to know them and find out who they were. It was more or less just getting accustomed to their habits on tour.
0: And your habits on tour.
4: Well, yeah, I mean my habits. I was trying to hide for the most part, but I just <laughs> hanging out with Joey and letting his habits shine
0: <laughs> Barry when when we first joined when you first joined, it was just like Every single time we'd stop somewhere for like food or you know gas, Barry would take a shit and then tell us how good the toilet paper was. Yep. (laughs) This is before he was taken now. He brings wipes because he's he's a civilized human.
4: Yeah, no, I never used the men's bathroom in any club we played at. That's the one thing I can tell you that I remember about touring. Yeah. (laughs) I never used the men's bathroom, but before the show opened, I never used the men's bathroom because I was like worst place ever it was like bottom of the hill in every single bathroom or Gilman everywhere across the us in the men's bathroom but the women's bathroom was like that I don't know Hilton it was like it was amazing <laughs> it was like they did all the work in there and just let the men's bathroom just be every night threw toilet paper in there and let them fight for it or something were you drinking a lot back then I was drinking a lot back then there was one time in England where boost one of the times Bustos said it was his birthday and we drank into the evening and we did Irish car bombs all night. I just remember we got up at the hostel the next morning and we're showering and we're, you know, this one of those hostels where you have like 10 showers, like, and they're covering like, you know, neck down, you can't see anything. So we're all showering, just like joking with each other. And Ryan's next to me. He's all, Hey dude, do you have your hoodie on? I was like, what? And I was just showering with like fully clothed shoes on everything. I didn't have an extra pair of shoes or anything. I didn't even realize it. I was so hammered. And then we went to the club, and I literally like died the whole way there and at the club. Yeah, it was it was really really bad. I'm glad to be sober though. I've not had a hangover in quite a long time. It's wild, right? When did you stop drinking? I quit drinking in April of 2019.
2: Did you have like a strong reason? A moment or anything to make that decision?
4: Well, I had wanted to quit, but I'm one of those people that when I want to do something, I can't just kind of want to do it because it just won't work. And especially with alcohol, that's like been something that's been a part of me since I was 13. So I was like, I just knew that I couldn't just kind of want to quit. So I was always wanting to quit to some degree, you know? And then uh, my wife quit a couple of years before me. And then it just got to the point where like, uh, I kind of knew it was either going to be I was going to choose my family and my wife or I was going to just stay the course. And I just kind of cut ties and, and quit.
1: Good for you, man.
4: Mm. I mean, there was no threat of any kind, but it was just like, I could see the writing on the wall, you know, she had been sober for three years. And when you're sober for three years fighting through that and looking at the person next to you and I wasn't getting better, I was getting much worse. And so, yeah, I just decided it was time. Yeah, drinking a lot's pretty. Um, it's pretty
2: depressing when you're not touring the world in a band, and you're not <laughs> young, and uh, you're not w- with your own,
4: with your homeboys. Well, it's depressing when you're touring the world too. No, no, it's yeah, was, it is. But at say. least
2: there's like there's like a <laughs> sheen over it where it's a, the sheen is called fun, and you can kind of oh, yeah. kid yourself that you're having fun, but. You can't kid yourself to the same degree when it's, you know, 20 years later and you're not, you're not doing all that stuff.
4: Well, the thing was, is I, I wanted to quit drinking. I wanted to quit drinking, but I also had it in the back of my head that I wasn't that bad. And Mm -hmm. when I realized it was that bad is that I realized everything in my life was geared towards drinking. And I had no idea what to do with myself outside of drinking. That was when I was like, holy crap, it really was that bad. (laughs) I mean I didn't I didn't go into my backyard and barbecue for a full year when I quit drinking because I just knew it would make me trigger. It would trigger me bad. So I stayed out of my back.
0: Make you want to have a beer, yeah.
4: Yeah. I I mean, and I didn't actually throw out my beer either. I wanted to leave whatever beers were in my fridges there because I wanted to like deal with it, you know, and but I didn't. I guess I stayed in the house, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had fridges in my garage that were filled with beer and I had fridges like in my backyard that were filled with beer. I had a bar built in my backyard. Wow. It was, uh, it was good to get away from it.
2: Yeah. What's it been like to be sober for like four years now?
4: feels great. I I really regret having not been for 30 or 20 something years before that. I, I really do regret it. But at the same time, I have to realize that, you know, I wouldn't be where I am now it wasn't for that you know
2: so Barry you were not you were not part of
4: Struggle Continues
2: then that record
4: no no but according to a lot of the fans I was oh yeah
2: (laughs) yeah you take credit for it
4: (laughs) no I mean no but they all signed this they're like oh I remember the last time you guys came through and I'm like oh this is the first time I've ever been here but yeah (laughs) because you know
0: you did a fair amount of touring though with us and We recorded we recorded uh, a song you wrote on "Struggle Continues." Yeah, and and I think you've told me that the bass line is incorrect.
4: Uh, It's yeah, I'd have to go back over it again. (laughs) I was really drunk at that time, so (laughs) saying a lot of things that. I mean, every everything's always going to be different when somebody else plays it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And when you write something, you're like, you you have it such a particular way when you hear it different, it kind of like catches you more than anything else. So
3: yeah,
0: it was my, my, my drive to put that song on Struggle Continues. Like I was like the biggest Blaps Bandits fan. And like, I had a cassette tape that I'd accidentally like probably pressed down record like in the intro, like in the outro of the song. So there was like a weird dip in the recording. On the on my copy of uh, the Blast Bandits cassette. Wait, you did what? So I had a I had a Blast Bandits like dub like somebody had like dubbed like the first demo and then like some live songs onto a tape and I found it in our van when we were cleaning it out one time and I've had it in a boombox probably listening to it because I didn't have a stereo in my car and uh,
4: yeah that that was actually what we sold oh just just dubbed tapes That was our demo. <laughs> yeah we know so we did a dub tape and then we put live song on yeah it. yeah
0: so, so so somebody somebody had bought it or somebody had put it in the van and i swiped that shit i still have it and uh i just thought that song was the fucking sickest and i just i just remember hearing blast bandits later with horns and i was like this is not it like this early version of blast Bandits is the shit <laughs> have we said what
2: the name of the song is it's called nothing new nothing new and yeah Omnigon plays that
0: song. Yeah. Well. And there's a bunch of other like really sick Blast Bandit songs, but I just don't think they would translate as well because like they were all like super young. And so, like, mm-hmm. one of the other, my other favorite songs is the Captain. Captain, oh, Captain, my motherfucking friend will sing and dance and listen to the party to the end. Like, that shit's tight, but it's super juvenile. And it's also singing about like, can't wait until the day I get my Boston CD back.
3: Ooh.
0: He has a dope ass pair of something and a million pairs of Vans.
4: Dope ass pair of. His <laughs> older buddy kicks it still
0: because Daniel is the man. Shout out Daniel. Yeah,
4: Daniel, you're rusty.
2: <laughs> Adam, you've talked before about um, using Tiger Bomb to help have a lively show.
0: Yeah, we haven't done that in a while.
2: But uh, Barry, were you were you part of that? Did you do that in your time with Link Eighty?
4: I might have. I I don't know, man. Maybe. Who knows? It was probably we were probably
0: doing gold bombed at that point. I,
4: I kind of remember that like being a conversation and it could have actually happened, but like I said, I was recovering before every set and then destroying myself afterwards. So it was probably it's possible. Probably happened.
2: Gold bomb, is that like the next step up from Tiger Bomb?
0: No, it's it's kind of more chilled out, oh, but okay. it's like a powder. And it's you can buy it more, it's more readily available than uh than Tiger Bomb.
1: So what's the trick with that? So you would put Tiger Balm on your body, just like.
0: Yeah, have you not done that, Justin?
1: No, I mean I put Tiger Balm and like uh, Biofreeze and stuff all over, but just for like muscle ache.
0: Yeah, put it on your nuts. Hmm.
1: Just like just get your stage energy up.
0: Yeah, that's
1: (laughs) smart. I'm gonna do that. It lights the
0: fire. We did it. We did it with uh, this band Bigwig from New Jersey, and their guitar player was like losing his mind. Like you know, the, the first block of their set he was like running around the stage and like screaming and like kept looking (laughs) off at us on, on like the side of the stage, like freaking out because it was, it was like too much for him. And then the song ended and he tried to grab like a giant pitcher of water and like pour it down the front of his pants. And we're like, no, "No." cause like pouring water on tiger bomb just makes it burn more and spreads it all around. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So he actually put it on his nuts. That's amazing.
4: Did he do it or did somebody else do that for him?
0: You don't you don't have somebody else do it for you, Barry. You do it to yourself. <laughs> you guys are big time. You guys are big time, man. You guys are big time, right? <laughs> okay. You do Barry and Barry does Justin. Justin
4: no, does just him. rhythm
1: section. I mean, I'll play more shows with you guys if we do it that way. That sounds great. <laughs> rhythm section only, Adam. You have to wait outside. <laughs> Me and Barry have a special bond.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, just the rhythm sections can get down
1: we got to bomb up. Bomb. <laughs> bomb up. Balm up. <laughs> We're gonna throw down.
2: What do you think it'd be like if you if you uh did it now in your mid forties?
0: Be fine. I still put gold bond on my nuts. <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> I went to the doctor the other day and the doctor was I was talking about like, hey, sometimes I like I have like jock itch and and he's like, Yeah, put gold bond on it. And I was like, Thank you. Okay. So it it, it does have like a like legitimate purpose.
2: Okay, okay.
0: Like if you got like swampy crotch or swampy butt, like it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll dry that up.
2: This has been pretty educational
1: so far.
0: Hey, you know, nothing if not educational. <laughs> gold bond, you want to get sponsored. Yeah. If gold bond wants to sponsor us,
1: <laughs> I, put, I put gold bond on my feet every day. <laughs>
0: sure. It's great. gold bonds totally great.
1: <laughs> I've sweat through enough pairs of vans playing drums. There you go. Gold bond. Yeah.
2: So Adam, do you post it on the Omnigon account? Uh, uh once at chain reaction we were on stage with a packed house and barry was nowhere to be found hmm. we led the audience in an impromptu song called buried as the pp dance mm-hmm. until we saw him pushing his way through the audience to start the show
0: yeah mm-hmm.
4: yeah
2: let's expand upon the story both of you
4: was that link 80
0: yeah that was link 80 <laughs> chain reaction has a secret bathroom that nobody knows about and the other thing is, we sang this song called Barry Does the Pee Pee Dance. And it was like, Barry does the pee dance. He does it every day. Barry does the pee pee dance. He does it every day. Whoa, whoa Barry, he does the pee pee dance. And about this point, I can see him pushing through the audience. Barry does the pee pee dance. He does it every day. Hey,
3: Barry, Barry does. And we got a
0: big round of applause. And then Barry climbed on stage and we played.
4: I don't know if you know this, but there was about an EP's worth of songs about me that they would sing up on stage. Because you were the new guy.
2: What, what other Barry songs did you have?
0: Uh, Barry the bassist. Let's hear it. And there was most of this was all Ryan Noble's doing, by the way. Yeah. So it was it was uh, it would be like hits at the beginning, and it'd be like bang the bassist is my freaking friend and then there'd be like a drum fill do do la do la do and then i'd be money beat and that was all we had
2: see small ep speaking of Ryan Noble and songs about band members what was the origin story of him singing doing that rap song about you Adam
0: oh it was a it was a secret santa present
2: oh yeah yeah can you, can you do it? Can you do some of it?
0: Oh, I can't remember. It was like, well, my name is Adam Davis. I'm a really nice guy. Like, <laughs> I can't remember the rest of it. There was a thing in there about me taking really big poops.
2: Yeah. And there's also something about how uh, he wants to get you high. Someday he's going to get you high. Yeah.
0: We're going to do ayahuasca together
4: one time. So Not going to happen. Hold my breath on that one. <laughs> Not going <laughs> to happen. You know, psychedelics don't count, Adam. Yeah, they're like medicine, dude.
0: Oh, they don't. Okay, Justin, you want to you want to go trip with me?
1: Yeah, let's go do drugs. That sounds fun.
0: You just
4: said drugs. This is a prescription.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna cross out on my hands. It says drug free. This
0: is a
4: prescription, Justin. Not not. not yeah, cross out cross yeah. out those drug free
1: tattoos. One life. I'm mean, gonna I just have it say prescriptions. Okay.
4: No more than Tylenol.
2: Justin, are you are you are you lifelong straight edge?
1: No, no. I I I drank in my uh, early, mid-twenties for like two or three years. I just wanted to try it. I wanted to see if it was something that would be a cool part of my life, and it wasn't. So I stopped doing it.
4: Was it the hangovers?
1: Yeah, the hangovers sucked. I just didn't like not being in control. And also, I found out, and I'm sure people are going to laugh at me for this, but I, I'm epileptic, and you're not supposed to drink if you're epileptic, like, ever.
4: Oh, it's like the damn. one
1: thing, big no-no, and I take medication for that, and the medication interacts with alcohol. So, I would drink, and I would just puke my brains out, be sick, 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 and then uh, why are all my stories about puking? It's amazing. But it, that was what would happen. I'd just be super sick and puke everywhere. And that was my experience with drinking. And I was like, why does anybody do this? This is so lame. It's just like having the flu every night. And uh then I stopped probably like ten years ago.
4: Well, good thing you never drank and drove. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do that. You've really been puking. How long um
2: when you start playing with Omnigon, does Adam like require you to get the X tattooed on your
1: hands? i was right away he said hey do you want to come out and do this record and i was like yeah sure he said cool there's one uh pre-requirement you have to go get an x tattooed on it was actually my neck uh-huh. and i so, had to do it it's got to be done oh and uh yeah and so i got that giant x in my throat adam <laughs> made me do it i don't actually have an x tattoo on my throat
0: what tattoo did you actually get
1: i got the against the rest yeah, yeah. tattoo on my hand oh yeah wow hell yeah yeah I got a lot of tattoos. So it was like, uh, this is my whole thing. I don't really care. Like what's on my body anymore. Like we're all going to die and rot. Why Same. not get some cool tattoos while we're here? There you
3: go. Okay. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I'll tattoo stuff on my hands and my uh, forehead. I'm eventually going to move on to my neck. Maybe my face. Yeah. You know, I don't really care anymore. I just, uh, it just doesn't phase me anymore.
2: Adam, have you ever considered uh, covering some straight edge songs by minor threat?
1: No. <laughs>
0: If we're if we're gonna cover anything, it'll be straight edge revenge by Project X. Just because Brent and and Nick think it's so funny. (laughs) They're always just like, let's just fucking straight Edge Revenge this shit. (laughs) Like like anytime they like, you know, there's like beers backstage at a show or something, it's like, oh thanks. We're gonna take these on stage and our whole set's gonna be twenty minutes of smashing (laughs)
3: things. Just
0: fucking stupid. Stupid belligerent shit. I would really like that, and I just like
2: fifteen-minute speeches about <laughs> about <laughs> drugs and alcohol.
0: Yeah, people <laughs> love that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, so the, so Omnigon, the very first Omnigon recording is actually Reese Noble on drums. Yeah, um, you did three songs, and this was at um was it iMusicCast? Yeah, well, it was the, at the studio behind iMusicCast. Uh, Skyline Studio. The uh, the studio class. Yeah. The same, the first same um, Narboots recording was did that as well.
0: Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah. I also did a recording with Dominic Davi of Tsunami Bomb and this girl named Teresa on drums and then lost the oh, files.
4: Oh, wow. Is that a ska band?
0: No, it was just punk. It was this punk shit. Recorded like two or three songs and then lost the files like I think I had them on a on a flash drive lost the flash drive and then went back to the studio and was like shit I lost the flash drive do you guys still have it backed up somewhere and they're like yeah one second and then they didn't have it
1: that sucks
0: that shit's lost to the lost to the sands of time but Narboots and Omnigon they those made it through
2: what was the state of Omnigon cuz i mean when when Narboots did that first recording there was no Narboots mm-hmm. it was we, we put it together specifically for that recording because he asked you and we all thought it'd be fun and there was no band. And actually the band came as a result of that and also being offered a show. What what was it for Omnigon?
0: Uh, After the Link 80 reunion in 2016, um, I was like, damn, like I really like playing this type of music and we're definitely never doing Link 80 again. So... It took me like three years to kind of come to terms with that and like figure out like, could I just start a new band like in my 40s and play ska punk? Like, is that something that I needed to do? And I was just like, I thought about it so much that I was like, I just set a deadline for myself, which was the Siren 6 show at Bottom of the Hill. And then I missed that deadline, but I was still thinking about it so much that I was like, I hit up Brian Matheson was like, hey, can I come to your recording studio? I hit up Barry and I hit up Reese because Reese had played in an operation Ivy cover band that we did for one show. And I really enjoyed playing with Reese and Barry had like hit me up like randomly one night, just sent me a text like, let's start a ska band (laughs) just totally serious. And I was just like, yeah, right. I'm not doing that. I was totally drunk, but I was totally serious. (laughs) Yeah. And I was, and I was like, you're tripping. And I should have just done it then. Like, he was right and then um just went to the studio and i'd written one song kind of and we had to just learn it in the studio which kind of is the way and then i knew i just wanted to do like a hardcore punk song so that took like two seconds so we just came up with parts (laughs) for burn it down cranked that out and then i'd been toying with the idea of what was the other one we did, Barry? Oh, man. Was it was like a punk version of Rewrite History. Uh, not Rewrite History, but
4: when the... What song is it? Dang it.
0: Earlier in the time. Stitch of in Time. That's the one. Stitch in Time. That's it. Yep. So st- I think Stitchin' Time was something that I'd, I'd been playing around with as like a Narbooth's Junior song. Like when we were talking about doing a children's band, Aaron.
2: Yeah, yeah I remember that.
0: So we had a couple of those songs. And I was like, oh, I have this thing. And so we did it, just did it, it as like a Ramones punk style song.
3: Yeah.
4: Sounded good, but not as good as it.
0: Cause I felt like I was annoying everybody by making us play more ska. <laughs> so I felt like it needed to be like a straight ahead punk song. And then it, on no faith, it's totally ska. We totally fixed it. And then I just, yeah, recorded these songs. And at that point I'd become friends with, um, Vantana row and, like we were talking one day and I had I was like, hey, I have these songs, could you mix them for me? And they mixed the first EP and and then I was like, well shit. That came together easily enough. And and then we Aaron and I went and did that uh, Curious Quail cover at District and that studio was cheap as fuck to record at. So I was like, damn, I should come back here with just a bunch of homies and in one day just knock out a bunch of songs. And that's how the band started. <laughs> the rest is history.
2: Okay, so b- before all that, okay, the Link Eighty reunion, the Link Eighty reunion in two thousand sixteen. That was the official Link Eighty reunion with Asian Man Records. Yeah, Narboots <laughs> Narboots did like a mini Link Eighty reunion before that. Yeah, when what year was that? Do you know? It was at Asian Man as well. Oh, that was the year before, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it had been like it was like. 2013 wasn't it
1: yeah it wasn't the year
2: before yeah it was probably like 2013
1: at the a's parking lot 2013 so the Oco the oakland a's Coliseum. no no
0: no this is the the 15 year anniversary
1: oh okay
0: wait so when would 15 year been well that was 2012 2011 yeah 11 one of my sons had like just been born
2: okay so we were playing i we got to actually play narboots got to actually play on the stage as like a real show. Yeah. At and so I was that your, I did just be like, Hey, let's do like a mini link 80 reunion in there.
0: Yeah. Cause I was pissed that we weren't doing Link Eighty, <laughs> and like, and like, I know everybody else in link 80 felt fucking stupid when we watched slapstick play. Yeah. Salem. That
2: was the same year. Okay.
0: And we we're just like, yeah, we were just like, what the fuck? Like, great. Like, so this is happening and people are like losing their shit over slapstick and we're not doing shit and we're all here.
4: Oh yeah. I it was
0: like depressing.
2: Who participated in the Narboots Mini Link Eighty reunion?
0: Barry did.
4: I did. And shit. Yeah, was it Jimmy? Someone you had friend of yours?
0: Yeah, Jimmy from the Fad sang. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he was cool. fucking hammered, and he sounded like shit. To be fair,
2: <laughs> I sounded like shit too uh, doing the drums.
0: You're fine. All right, you're fine. You pulled it off. Uh, and then we had Seth and and Jason play sax. So I think, and then we had Bob play trombone. Oh shit! I think so. We had like a full horn section. We played. We played two Link Eighty songs. I think there's a horrible video of it on YouTube <laughs> if you want to relive it. Oh no! I I found some ill fitting shirt with like embroidery on it in the back patio, and like squeezed my like dad bought into it. Nice. And so like <laughs> it's really awkward looking footage. I have short hair. Your leopard pants. <sighs> would have been cool if I'd been wearing leopard
2: pants (laughs) did you feel good with the link 80 the actual link 80 reunion
0: yes and no um I was really fun getting to play with Matt Bettinelli um it really sucked playing with Adam Pereira Mm -hmm. he bummed everybody out really bad I was shocked that everybody wanted to include him in the first place And I, I went along with it because I don't mind playing with Adam. Like I actually really like his playing and I like his voice. And even, even a part of me likes how he acts, (laughs) (laughs) even though it's very abrasive. Part of me enjoys it um, because he's down to just like be crazy. Um, But he bummed everybody else out super bad to the point where like nobody wanted to do it. And I was like, well, you guys are the ones that invited him. Like, I don't know what the fuck do you want. Um, and then Barry had to deal with only getting to play like half the set. Cause Adam was playing the other half. And my thought also was when he got invited was that he was just going to like sing. Cause he'd been kicked out of the band, but there were songs that he sang. So I don't know for me, like if they had been like, Hey, we just want you to get up and sing. Matt's going to play guitar for the entire set. I'm like, fuck. Yeah, that's fine. But that was not how he felt about it. <laughs>
2: And so you think it's never happening again?
0: Absolutely never happening again. I talked to Mike Park about it yesterday. Damn, I wish I'm never going to do Link-Adee meeting again because everybody hates Adam. (sighs) And I was like, well, I don't know that they hate him, but Adam is not somebody that anybody wants to play music with anymore.
2: Do you feel like now that you have OmniGon that you're okay with that? Or do you kind of still wish you could do that again?
0: Yeah, I'm totally okay with that. And I mean, here's the thing too, is like, we've re-recorded a bunch of stuff off of Struggle Continues, like, just cause like recording, like I said before, recording a district is incredibly cheap and it's a great studio. So we were just like, let's go in there and just record a bunch of Link 80 songs. Cause they're not going to do anything with these songs. <laughs> and so we went in and re-recorded a bunch of those songs. And then Barry was even like, let's record One More Minute, which was a Link 80 song that never got, re- never got recorded. And it's a very good song. And now it's on the new record. So we have a song that's 21 years old on the new Omnigon record.
2: Well, what are those other songs that you guys re-recorded?
0: We recorded Time for Change, which is like the only one that hasn't been released, I think. We did Right Hook, which was originally going to be on the split with Protagonist. But then at the last minute, I just because it took so fucking long for that to come out, that uh, I was like, let's put one of these other songs that we recorded on there. So we have a version of Web We Weave, which is also on the new record. And that song is on the... um, So Right Hook became like a digital B-side. And then we did Step Up, which was on Struggle Continues. And we added vocals. And Esteban from Matamosca added horns and keys to it. And Barry, am I forgetting one? Did we do any others? Um,
4: And Nothing New. Nothing New, new, yeah, that was other one we did nothing new we're going to continue doing nothing new every four or five years i think
0: dude i mean honestly every time we play it i look at you because it's you've been playing that song for like three quarters of your life now yeah since That's i
4: was so 15 awesome. years old
0: <laughs> dude it makes me so happy every time we play that song like just looking over at you and just being like damn Barry's playing nothing <laughs> new again i love <laughs> this
1: And the song's called Nothing New, so it's kind of extra, yeah, ironic, yeah.
0: And honestly, I feel like every time we play it, I feel like it gets better. (laughs) Like,
1: I don't know, I
0: didn't know the lyrics. I think it's such a good song. That's the reason I wanted, that's the reason, like, once Blast Bandits wasn't playing anymore, I wanted Link 80 to play it and I wanted Omnigon to play it because it's a great song, and it's like one of those songs that I feel like more people should hear.
1: Yeah, that song is sick. Big fan, good job, Barry.
0: Yeah. Justin, w- did you play drums on any of those Link 80 songs we recovered?
1: Honestly, I don't know what any of the songs, I don't know what any of the songs are called.
0: That's the funniest thing cuz like you and Brent, no nobody knows who played on what.
1: You're like track track 14. I know cuz it's in the liner notes of the first record, and I know cuz we just did the second record recently enough and that time I wrote down every song like as I played it, I wrote oh, I recorded drums on this. I recorded drums on this. Uh, Because there were two songs that Joey Bustos did that um, I didn't know what they were called. I didn't know what anything was called. It was like track one, track seven, track 14. Yeah. And uh, some of them had like temp names. So
0: Yeah, a a
4: couple ended up with different names. Recorded more Omnigon songs than anyone else on drums.
1: That's wild. that's that's absolutely crazy to me yeah the funny
0: thing too is is so brent brent recorded different versions of this of three of the songs that are on the new album but then he thought that we just went in and just had you re-record the drum parts but those are just different recordings that we just didn't do anything with except for the one that came out on the seven inch
3: yeah
0: (laughs) but but so he was like listening to the record like i think i played on this but that doesn't sound like the way I remember it. Yeah. It's like, no, that's a totally <laughs> new recording. But then here's the funny part, Justin, when we, when we shot the video for against the rest. Um, and, and that was, it was, and everybody was learning the song as we we're like filming this video, like <laughs> Brent's trying to like figure out what you did. And then later after we finished recording, I'm like, wait, no, it's not what Justin did. It's what Joey did.
1: Joey played drums on this <laughs> song. Yeah. 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 That's one of Joey's songs. Uh, I, dude, I listen to that song sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, I really sound good on this. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not me. That's not me. <laughs> but it's at the same studio. And I feel like we have a kind of similar style. Uh, mm-hmm. I think my style, I probably just ripped off from him. Um, right. Because like I listened to that. and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. This is the vibe of the record. Great. I'm going to do what he did. What
4: would Joey Bustos do? Yeah,
1: honestly.
0: I mean, I straight up said that to Joey though. We played with Voodoo Glow Skulls and he only had like a day to prepare for it. And he was like, I don't know these songs that well. And I was like, Joey, literally just play whatever you feel like is the right part. And it's going to be the right part because we basically wrote these songs like with the way you play in mind. So just go for it. And it was fine.
2: So, on your tours and the shows you do, how many Scon Now More Than Ever banners do you usually sell? a Show
0: hundred. We've gone. Through, we're like down to the last few of the like third print <laughs> one of those. That means we have sold like three hundred of them or something. Wow. We're going to change our name now to what? To Skan Now More Than Ever. No <laughs> more. <laughs> I just tacked one up on the wall at, at Gilman. I'm going to see how long it stays there for. <laughs> because cuz cause here's the thing is my my friend my friend Ken Davis makes this uh makes this screen print that says ABCD it says ABCD fund the police and I he gave me a bunch of those and I clipped one up behind the stage at Gilman months ago and i just kept seeing it in the background of people's pictures and i was like what the fuck that's still there like nobody's torn it down or stolen it or defaced it. And, and then it fell down the last time we were at Gilman on Sunday because I, I was putting up our banner and I was like, Oh, whatever. And then I was going to put it up later, but it disappeared. So I was like, whatever. And then I was like, Oh wait, let me put one of these gone out more than ever flags up. So we'll see how long it stays.
2: Ken Davis, by the way, is the person that did the lettering on the cover of my book.
0: Yep. Who set that up?
2: I was uh, Adam Davis no thank you um those the lettering he did everything except my name at the bottom was actually spray painted on the wall it's not photoshopped and he did it all freehand he didn't use any stencils or anything that's how that's what a professional
0: excellent sign painter Yeah. so if you need a sign no kidding um he also did the the against the rest that's on the back of the link 80 hoodies from the reunion show
2: i was uh, i was when uh, my book was first coming out, I was talking to a friend, uh, mm-hmm. Lex. He's a, he's a, you know, he used to be in the Frontier Wives. He was on Survivor, and um, I was talking about my book, and he was complimenting the cover, and I was telling him the whole story, and I mentioned Ken Davis. He goes, Ken Davis, he's a legend in the lettering community i was like i
3: was
2: like there's a there's a legend there's a lettering community yeah (laughs) he's a legend in it
0: yeah ken's ken's a big deal and ken's been in like a diy punk for a long time and uh super good dude he had this really cool studio for a while in like hayward and it was in the middle of this uh some guy owns this warehouse where the lot behind it, he's turned it into like a three quarter scale Western town. (laughs) And so there's just this random like back lot with these, just like the fronts of all these like Western buildings, but they're all like three quarter scale. It's so bizarre.
2: The ska now minor more than ever is like sort of taken over uh, a lot of the, the new ska uh, scene, I would say. Mm -hmm. And uh, the second edition of my book, Um, it's called, it's not, it's coming out in October. It's called in defense of Ska, Ska now more than ever edition, because what other, what else could I call it? Right. Yeah. Um, do you, do you (laughs) believe Amy came, my wife, Amy thought of that. And I, then I, good job. Amy. And then I asked you and you're like, that's it. That's the name. Yeah. Do you want to tell the story? I, I don't know if we've talked about it in front of the curtain, yeah we've talked about it behind the curtain
0: i mean i tell it I tell it to people whenever they ask, so sure we can talk about it here yeah um back during the pandemic uh save Ferris posted a t shirt with a picture of Monique on the front where they'd kind of look like they'd used like a uh, like a fo- like a Instagram filter to like write the words ska now more than ever across the front of this picture of her with like red bars. It was a really not great looking shirt. And then uh, they made this post and this was during the height of like COVID and black lives matter happening and like lots of high tension and people were, you know, raising money for black lives matter at the time. And they posted this shirt and they just put support the cause, like buy one of these shirts, but they were really vague about it. And people were like left comments that were like, what's the cause? Like, what are you guys doing? And it was just like weird. And I, I, who knows that they even sold any of these shirts. I've never seen one in real life. So I looked back at their posts a little bit and there's, they've been using the hashtag ska now more than ever. And Brent and I saw it and Brent was just like, what does that even mean? Like ska now more than ever. And it just seemed ridiculous. And so we just started texting it to each other, like just throughout the day, <laughs> just ska now more than ever and just laughing. Cause it was just funny. And then I start. I think I started putting it on like our actual posts, just to like, I don't know, to make Brent laugh. But then it like picked up steam, and then I made stickers out of it. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, hey, mail me your ad- your address, and I'll send you some of these. You know, send me your address, and I'll send you some of these stickers. And like got like a super positive response. Sent sent out like a hundred stickers, and then Brent was like, you should make a banner out of this. Like people people love it. And we made a banner out of it, and people were super into it and honestly, like, and it's just kind of snowballed from there, and now people have it tattooed on them and we
2: say it we we say it on this podcast we close
0: we say it on this podcast, other people say it now, and it's actually <laughs> gone full circle, and now it's not what does this mean? it's like I know what it means, and it means literally fucking ska now more than ever it means. Like this is a DIY movement, and we're all living our best lives, and you don't have to be ashamed to play ska anymore, and you don't have to be a dork to play ska. And there's just as much dorkiness in all other types of music. So fuck yeah, ska now more than ever. We end our sets with it now, where we do like these big hits at the end of the song, at the end of the set, and I scream ska now more than ever. And I mean it gets a really good audience reaction yeah
2: i love that at the on the in defense of ska tour when you do that they-
0: should we start the set that way now barry we could try that next time you could start start the set with it and yeah yeah it.
4: and then mid midway too well and with ska meow more than ever
0: <laughs> yeah but shout out shout out say ferris for getting the ball coining that term yeah. they're the ogs <laughs> Don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to Indefensive Defensive Ska. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at In Ska. Pick up Aaron's book, Indefensive Defensive Ska, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International. This is your co-host Adam Davis of Omnigon, leading you by saying Ska now more than ever. Hey
3: everybody,
0: it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024 these are GA plus, and they include camping. Russ, how would people get qualified?
1: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup.
2: Call 423-667-7877
3: and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.